Good morning everyone and welcome to the last in our series on what matters. This is the eighth and you can watch the previous seven on our YouTube channel or obtain the audio by going to our website. I'm Mike, I'm one of the elders at Faberton Community Church and whether you are a member of our church or a regular or just visiting for the first time you're very welcome. Please have a look at our website to find out more information about what we do. What matters? What matters to God? What matters to us? If you have small children, or like myself, small grandchildren, one of their most common phrases is, it's not fair. There seems to be a deep inbuilt feeling in all of our hearts that we should have fairness, that there should be justice. And that leads us to this week's topic. What matters to God, justice does. When I was researching for this sermon, I found that using my old authorised version concordance that there weren't actually that many references to justice. There'll probably be far more in a modern translation of the Bible. But there are multiple references also to judging, to judges, to judgment, to justification, all areas around this one. And there are many different ways we could go looking at God and looking at justice. One I will not be looking at is what happens when justice seems to be delayed or not there. One of the best places to look to that would be the book of Job, probably the oldest recorded uh, literature in the Bible. One of the oldest recorded literatures anywhere in the world. But one thing that shows us is how dangerous it is to take truths about God and justice and apply them with insufficient knowledge or understanding of the details of the situation. Many of Job's comforters make comments which are true, but just aren't applicable to the situation. What I'm going to do today is look at a thread going through the Bible about justice and righteousness. It's one I found when I looked in my concordance and I think it shows us something of how much the idea of justice is woven right through the Bible from the beginning to the end. I'm going to start in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, in chapter 18. This is where the Lord, God, has come down with some angels and has met with Abraham. And he sends the angels off to Sodom and Gomorrah to confirm what is actually happening there. And this is what he says 
in verse 19. When you read this bit in the Bible, you've got to imagine it almost as if God is talking to himself about the situation. And he says this, talking about Abraham. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. So we find right at the beginning of the Bible's account of God's interaction with man, particularly in the start of his interaction with Abraham, which is going to go on to develop into the people of Israel. You find that righteousness and justice are right there at the beginning. And it's something which Abraham is going to need to teach his children to follow. If they are going to be following in the way of the Lord, they must live in terms of righteousness and justice. We find this continues right through. And when we get later in the Bible, in the book of 1 Kings, we're looking now at the reign of the third king of Israel, Solomon. And here in chapter 10, we find that Solomon is being visited by the Queen of Sheba. And this is what she says in verse 9. Blessed be the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, he has made you king, that you may execute justice and righteousness. So as the people have developed from being a tribes to having a king, one of the elements of the king again is this idea that the king should rule with justice and with righteousness. And also we see here in what the Queen of Sheba says, the fact that you have a king who rules with righteousness and justice is a sign that God loves his people. And that one of the main things which we can benefit from God is to have rulers who recognise the need for justice and righteousness. This is also reflected later in the Psalms. When Ethan the Eth Ezraite says this, in Psalm 89 and verse 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. And obviously here he's talking of God. But notice again the link between rule with righteousness and justice and steadfast love and faithfulness. The two go together. However, we know that the kings of Israel and later of Judah did not follow the way of the Lord wholeheartedly. Some did, others didn't. Some were a bit in between. Some started well and finished badly. Much rarer to see the other way around. In the end, they ended up going into exile.
in Babylon. While they were there, one of the prophets, Ezekiel, was given visions by God as to what was going to happen in the future. Some of these visions use imagery which is difficult for us to understand. But at the end, in the last eight chapters of his prophecy, from chapter 40 to 48, Ezekiel is told about a coming kingdom when Israel is going to be restored. Much of it is about details of measurements of the temple, how the temple is to be looked after, how the people are to live in the land. Measurement is an important part of all this. And again, there's a lot of imagery which we find difficult to understand. But suddenly, in the middle of all this detail, which to us is all rather a bit archaic, and, well, what's it got to do with us? We find the following verses appear in, chap in chapter 45 and from verse 8. And my princes shall no more oppress my people, but they shall let the house of Israel have the land according to their tribes. Thus says the Lord God, Enough, O princes of Israel, Put away violence and oppression, and execute justice and righteousness. Cease your evictions of my people, declares the Lord your God. You shall have just balances, and so on, talking about measurements of mass and of volume. Even as the prophet Ezekiel is talking about this new kingdom God's going to bring, there is deep down this concern that kings and princes, although they are meant to be bringing judgments which are just and righteous, end up actually oppressing the people and not giving them what they should do, as is being described in the rest of this part of Ezekiel, but will actually exploit them for their own advantage. So although justice and righteousness is meant to be a sign of the rulers of Israel, too often they failed. And Ezekiel here almost doesn't really trust them to have picked up the message of exile and changed. Before they went into exile, God sent two prophets who spoke a lot about the future. One of them who coincided with the time when they went into exile was Jeremiah. And God spoke to Jeremiah about the future in chapter 23 and verse 5. And he said this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I shall raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called, The Lord is our righteousness. So Jeremiah 
is speaking almost beyond what Ezekiel sees later, looking to a time when there will be a ruler who rules with justice and righteousness, who will be a branch of David. He looks forward to in words which would be used in the time of Jesus to a Messiah coming. Earlier than Jeremiah was also the prophet Isaiah. And he again had many prophecies which applied to the Messiah. One, which you might know parts of, comes in chapter 9, starting partway through the first verse. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken, as in the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood, will be burnt as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it, with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and evermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You might recognise parts of that prophecy because they're often read at Christmas. Many of the verses there appear in Handel's Messiah. So, what we are finding here is that this thread of justice and righteousness, having been applied to Abraham and his descendants, having been applied to the kings and princes of Israel, having found that they were not capable of ruling with justice and righteousness. God has promised he will send a child born in Galilee who will rule with justice and righteousness. This child we know as Jesus. He succeeds and triumphs where humans have failed. He brings judgment. As without judgment there can be no justice. He brings judgment without favour. 
his just judgment is true. He's not biased in favour of the rich. He's not making decisions just to favour himself. We can see something of this in Je when Jesus himself is speaking. Often there's an idea goes around that the idea of a God of judgment appears in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament you have Jesus who rather speaks of love. In fact, if we read the Gospels, we find that Jesus speaks far more of judgment than he does of love. And part of that comes in Matthew chapter 12 and from verse 38. He's been talking to the people. And people are wondering, who is this Jesus? Is he the Messiah or not? And then we are told in verse 38, some of the scribes and Pharisees. The scribes were, if you like, religious people. People who made their money working in the religious establishment. The Pharisees, on the other hand, were religious reformers. They wanted to see God's way come. So both groups were ones who should be looking for the Messiah, should be looking for the way of God. And they come to Jesus and they say this, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The Queen of the South, that's the Queen of Sheba, will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. So, these religious leaders came asking for a sign. And Jesus basically says, look at what you can see already. That's your sign. If you want a greater sign, you'll get the sign of Jonah. As Jonah was in the fish for three days, so I will be in the earth for three days. And he rose again. As in a sense, Jonah also came back from death. But in Jesus' case, it was the reality. Sometimes people will say to us, oh, well, I believe if I have a sign. Well, Jesus was telling these leaders, you've got enough information You've got enough to observe. You've got enough to know now. You don't need a sign. Anyway, 
If God did, did give a sign, would you change your mind? It's easy to think that we would, but the evidence often is not. Because ultimately the challenge comes deeply to ourselves. Because if we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to live in his life of justice and righteousness, it means we have to give up on our own desires. My grandson might say it's not fair, but he only says that when he doesn't get what he wants. If he gets what he wants, he's not particularly worried whether it is fair or not. And unfortunately, that is true of us. The COVID-19 has shown a lot of people complaining about things not being fair, about not getting justice. But usually that means they're not getting what they want when they think somebody else is getting more than them. The problem is, if we really want justice, we end up knowing that we don't meet God's requirements. Therefore, like the people Jesus is talking about, on the day of judgment, many others who we might look down on would come and say, justice? you'll get the justice you deserve. Fourthly for us, however, Jesus offers his salvation to us, not because we deserve it out of justice, but because of his loving kindness. As we were looking prior to this series in Galatians, in chapter 2, we get the following. For all who rely on works of the law, and therefore on justice, are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who doesn't abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. The one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So under the law, under justice, we would be cursed. But praise be to God, Jesus took that curse for us in his death on the cross. And what we find now is the promise which was given to Abraham right at that beginning. The promise which depended on rule by justice and righteousness is now given to us as a free gift. To end, 
how do we apply this in our lives? The prophet Micah, reflecting on this, said in verse 8 of chapter 6 of his prophecy, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. So in this coming week, let us do that. Let us do justice. Let us love kindness. And let us walk humbly with our God. God bless you.